week? We talk from Luke chapter 4, right? Uh, and that was the first sermon Jesus ever preached when he preached from Isaiah 61. And again, last week we started this new series, uh, Jesus of the Synoptic Gospels. And what we're doing is that we're not just taking one gospel and going through it. Rather, we are constructing the life of Christ chronologically from the gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we're going to mix and match between all these uh, three gospels and go through it from the first time Jesus started ministering and preaching. Uh, we're probably going to follow him all the way to the cross uh, just to construct him and understand how the synoptic gospels presented Jesus to us. So if you remember from last week, where did Jesus preach his first sermon? What city? City of Nazareth, right? And he was in Nazareth. He was traveling in the area of Galilee, and he was preaching in synagogues um, every Saturday. But the first documented sermon that we have is the one that he preached in his own city of Nazareth. And if you read back in Luke chapter 4, after Jesus preached his sermon, people got pretty mad, and they actually wanted to kill him. And Jesus, you know, just walked out of that situation. So that's where we pick up today. We're picking now from Matthew chapter 4, verse uh, 13 to verse 17. It says this, Leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum, where was which was by the lake of the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living seeing great light, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach what is his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or has come near. Amen? Amen. So verse 4, 13 start by saying, leaving Nazareth. Obviously, it makes sense that he will leave Nazareth. When you're living in a town and everybody there want to kill you, they, that's a good idea to leave, right? So Jesus did just that. He moved. He left his hometown, Nazareth, where he was rejected. And he moved on and he lived. Now he's just not visiting. He's living in a different city called Capernaum. The map that you have in your uh, notes are pretty dim. But I, if you can't see, there is that Mediterranean Sea on your left hand, the very left of the picture. Uh, and then there is the Lake or the Sea of Galilee in the middle of that picture. And then if you can uh, follow, Jesus used to be in Nazareth, which is in the south uh, east, and he moved northwest to that city that is called Capernaum on the actual sea of the Sea of Galilee. You guys, if you can see that, it's a little bit dim, I apologize. But the idea here is this. Jesus moved from that city of Nazareth. He moved northwest and he moved to that city called Capernaum. Now, there's a massive difference between these two cities. Nazareth was such a small, tiny city. That's where Jesus grew up. Uh, Capernaum at that time was, was a big city. It was a hub in a way. Um, it, it, the population was about 10,000 people, far much bigger than that of Nazareth. We know from Matthew 8 verse 5 that there was a centurion of the Roman government there and there was also a custom post. So this city was a Jewish city by any stretch of imagination, but it was also a Roman hub in that city. So it's pretty, pretty 
populous and far much different than Nazareth where Jesus has just finished preaching. But now Jesus is moving from a small town to a big city called Capernaum. Um, now, historically, when the children of Israel invaded that, that, that land, and then Joshua, starting with Moses, then Joshua divided the land between the tribes, between that sea, the Sea of Galilee, all the way to the Mediterranean, there was three tribes living there. On that top part where the city of Capernaum was, that was belonging to the tribe of Naphtali. Nazareth in that area south, uh, th southeast, southeast, that will be the, the, the tribe of Zebulon. And then a little bit, if you go toward the Mediterranean Sea, that will be the tribe of Asher. So Jesus literally moved from a city that belonged to the tribe of Zebulon to a city that belonged to the tribe of Naphtali. Why is that important? Because that's pretty much the foundation of what the scripture in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, that uh, Matthew here has quoted and applied it to the ministry of Christ. Amen? By the time of the second temple, when Jesus came and uh, the second temple has been built, at that time, the division between the tribes, the lands of the tribes, has pretty much been obsolete at that point. However, during the time of the prophecy of Isaiah, the divisions was there, the lands were divided. You know which land belonged to Naphtali and which land belongs to Zebulun. You guys are with me so far? So Jesus uh, moved from a city that used to belong to the land of Zebulun to a city that belonged to the land of Naphtali. And when Matthew saw that Jesus moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, Matthew kind of has this light goes on. It's like, you know what? That's precisely what was written about Jesus or about the Messiah in the book of Isaiah. And here, Matthew is quoting to us Isaiah 9, verse 1 and verse 2. <clears throat> Last week, Luke quoted to us Isaiah chapter 61. Remember that? Now we're reading a quote from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to verse 2. Here is what the book of Isaiah says. It says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nation by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, which Matthew switched around to the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, if you go back to Isaiah and read Isaiah chapter 9, why those who dwell in the land of Naphtali, in the land of Zebulon, in the land of extreme darkness and the shadow of death have seen a great light? Isaiah tells us that in Isaiah 9 verse 6, and here is the reason, for to us, that's the reason why the light will shine according to Isaiah, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be in his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You guys are with me? So Isaiah linked that light that was shining on those who are walking in darkness to the coming of the Messiah. And Matthew saw in the physical movement of Jesus from the land of Zebulun to the land of Naphtali, or historically the land of Zebulun to historically the land of Naphtali, a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. Amen? What does this prophecy say? It says this in verse... 
according to Matthew uh, verse 16, that people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those who are living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And that verse is fulfilled and is associated with Christ's coming to start preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near or is at hand. Amen? Amen. Now, this is a great, great verse, isn't it? It's full of hope that those who are living in darkness in the land of the shadow of death, all of a sudden now to them, a great light has shone. Amen? Now, let's try to unpack that and try to understand how those who are living in darkness have seen the light because of Jesus and because of his ministry. Amen? In the scripture, the word darkness can be associated with three things. And that's precisely, I feel like, the spiritual meaning of what the prophecy of Isaiah or the words of Matthew literally means. That those who live in darkness associated with three things have now come to see the light because of Jesus coming to start ministering and the Son of God coming to earth. Amen? In the scripture, we see that darkness is associated with sin, darkness is associated with Satan, and darkness is associated with death. Amen? So what Isaiah was saying, what Matthew was quoting is this. Those who are sitting in the darkness of sin have seen a great light. Those who are sitting in the darkness, in the blindness of Satan have seen a great light. Those who are sitting in the darkness of death have seen a great light. Amen? So let's look into that. Let's unpack it a little bit. Sin. <clears throat> Scripture so many times, I just referenced a couple here, links sin to darkness. John 3, 19 to 20, here is what Jesus told Nicodemus. This is the verdict that the light has come into the world, but the people love darkness instead of light. Why? Because their deeds were evil because of evil. They loved darkness because evil associated with darkness. Another example, just there is many again. Romans 3, 12 to 13. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of what? Darkness. What is the deeds of darkness? It's the sin, right? So the scripture called sin, the deeds, the action of darkness. Let's put that off and put on the armor of light. Ephesians 5, 11 have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness again sin but rather do what expose them over and over again there's so many scripture that links sin with darkness but that's precisely what Isaiah said what Matthew said that those who are living in the life of sin which is the life of darkness now that the son of God has come a great light has shone unto them amen Think about this. In, in, in John chapter 8, we read that story about an adulterous woman. The Pharisees wanted to catch Jesus. So they bring to him an adulterous woman. And they try to trap him. So they say to him this. Master, rabbi, teacher, Moses said that a woman who's caught in adultery must be stoned. What do you say? 
and they thought they have the perfect trap for Jesus. If Jesus said stone her, then they can go to the tax collectors and the sinners that Jesus is hanging out with and say, look at this guy. He's okay with you guys being killed and murdered. And if Jesus said, don't stone her, then they can say, look at this guy who's trying to make us disobey the law of Moses. So they thought they had the perfect trap. But what would Jesus, what did Jesus do to them? Jesus just bending down and start writing on the dust. And they start nagging him saying, hey, tell us what do we need to do? Should we obey the command of Moses or should we not obey the command of Moses? Jesus looked at them and he said this. He said what? If anyone is among you is without sin, let him throw the first stone. Think about that. This is extremely important. Jesus said, if anyone among you is without sin, let him throw the first stone. So what is the rule here? If you're without sin, go ahead and start stoning that lady. That's the rules that Jesus has set. <clears throat> so what happens? Everyone starts to going back, starting from the leaders, from the Pharisees. Everyone starts withdrawing and start running away from the scene. You know why? Because every single one of them has, has sin in them, right? There is only one person in that crowd that has no sin in him. Do you know who that is? Jesus, that's right. And everyone withdrew except two people. The one who's accused, the adulterous woman, and the one who is without sin. And I can imagine that the lady, the sinful lady at that time, start freaking out. You know why? Because the only one who's without sin is right there in front of her. Amen? And she was expecting that Jesus might grab the first stone and he's going to start stoning her. Because he is the one who has every right to throw the first stone. Amen? But instead, instead of stoning that lady, she heard Jesus saying, where are those who are accusing you? And the woman said, they're all gone. And she's now embracing to hear the first stone hitting her. She's like, how dare you do this? And Jesus grabs the first stone and throws it at her. But Jesus didn't do that. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You guys are with me? So... That lady has left Christ, and I believe, obviously there is no scripture for it, that when she left that situation, she never went back to the life of sin. Now, the Bible says, John, in John chapter 8, tell us right after that, that Jesus started teaching everybody, and he said this, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness. You guys are with me? In the context of Jesus providing forgiveness to that adulterous woman that absolutely did not deserve that, that deserved to be punished even by Jesus himself. Jesus says in that light, in that context, I am the light of the world and if you follow me, you will never walk in the darkness of sin. Amen? Just like this adulterous woman who was living in the darkness of, of immorality and sin because of Jesus, now she is walking in the light of life because she has finally obtained the forgiveness that Jesus only can provide. So does everyone who walk in the darkness of sin, the Bible say, a great light has shone unto them. Amen? That great light comes only through the Son of God who humbled himself, who went to the cross, who died on our we have so that he can provide for us the light that cast away every darkness of sin. Amen? Amen? What does Matthew 
4.16 says, Those who are walking or living in the darkness of sin have seen a great light. Amen? amen. One amen, two amen. Amen? amen. amen. I should not, not. Guys, those who are living in the darkness of sin have seen a great light. Amen? Amen. 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 Jesus can cast away every darkness of sin. But not only that, Jesus can also cast away the darkness, the blindness of Satan. Look at that. Satan, the kingdom of darkness, the power, the evil powers are also associated with Acts 26, 18. Here is what Paul said. He said that God has anointed him. His, the goal of his ministry is this, to open people, the Gentiles, their eyes and turn them from Yes. Darkness to light. What is darkness and what is light? He tells us. You don't have to guess. And from the power of Satan to God. So the parallelism is here is this. Darkness equal the power of Satan. And light equal God. So Satan, the kingdom of darkness, is associated with Satan and his powers. They actually call the powers of Darkness in Ephesians 6 12. Here is what Paul said. He said, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, against the world forces of darkness, talking about demons, demonic forces, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. These evil, wicked, demonic forces are called the forces of darkness. You guys are with me? But I have some good news for you today. Amen. Those who are living in the darkness of the kingdom of Satan. Because Jesus has come and he has started preaching his message. And to go to the cross ultimately to die for our sins. Those people now have seen a great light. Amen. Because the light of Jesus is far much more powerful than the darkness of the kingdom of Satan. Amen. And that's in an essence what Paul was trying to tell us in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 6. He's telling us how the light of Christ is far more powerful than the darkness of Satan. Look at that. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled on those who are perishing. The God of this age, who's that? The God of this age. Satan, right? Has blinded. How many would agree that blinding means being darkness? Right, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, Amen. who is the image of God. Wait a minute, Paul. Are you trying to tell us here that Satan, the God of this age, is actually powerful enough that he can keep people in darkness from seeing the light of the glorious Christ, the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God? Paul say in a, to an effect, yes, Satan can be that powerful. He can blind the eyes and the minds of men so they will not see the light of the gospel. But our God is still even far more powerful than the God of this age. Amen? And here is how Paul is proving his point. He continues after that in verse 5 and he said, For we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Christ and Him crucified and us being servants of Jesus' sake. In other words, Paul is telling us, yes, the God of this age can be powerful to blind the eyes of those who do not believe, but when we proclaim Christ and Him crucified, here is what 
what's going to happen. Our God, who is far much more powerful than the God of this age, will open those eyes that have been blinded by the God of this age. Well, how do you know, Paul? Well, Paul starts giving us examples in verse 6. He says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Where did, when did God say that? Say that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. God said, let there be light. And when God uttered this word, what happened is out of darkness, light has shone. You guys are with me? God who commanded light to shine out of darkness in the event of creation, that exact same power that brought forth light out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1 is the exact same might, the exact same power that has worked in your life and in my life to light, to shine the light of Christ even in the very darkness of the kingdom of Satan in our lives. Amen? That's why he said after this, the exact same God who commanded light to shine out of darkness made his light shine into our hearts that once upon the time was blinded by the God of this age to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen? So yes, Satan can't be strong enough to blind the eyes of those who do not believe. There is no question about it. But our God is far more powerful than the God of this age. Amen? The God of this age can blind the eyes of those who do not believe but our God can command light to shine out of darkness. He did it in the story of creation. He did it in your life. He did it in my life. When the light of the gospel has shone into us through Christ and cast away every darkness that the enemy is using to blind our eyes. Amen? And the exact same power that worked in creation, that worked in you and me, still able to work on those who are still being blinded by the God of this age. Amen? Amen. Those who are sitting in darkness upon them, a great light has shone. Amen? Amen? Those who are sitting in the darkness of sin, the light of the redemption of Christ has shined upon them. Those who are sitting in the darkness of Satan, the light of the power of Christ has shined upon them. Amen? Amen. And now finally, those who are sitting in the darkness of death, the light of the life of Christ has shone upon them. Amen? In the scripture also, we see that darkness and death are linked together. One example for that is the passage that we were just reading. Matthew 4.16, it says this. Those who are living in darkness have seen a great light. Look how he described those who are living in darkness. It says, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Yes. These two phrases are parallel. They pretty much convey the same point. That those who live in darkness are exact, the exact same people who live in the land of the shadow of death. Amen? Amen. Now, think about that. In order for you to be in somebody's shadow, like literally staying or walking in their shadow, you have to be so close to that person, right? right. You cannot be far away from that person and still walking or living or, or anything like that in their shadow. If I'm holding my coat, Kazi or Sila, and we're walking and my shadow's on them, that means they're really, really close to me. Otherwise, my shadow will never be on them. You guys are with me? And that's precisely what Isaiah was saying, what Matthew was saying, that when people live in darkness, they are so close to death because death and darkness in so many ways are inseparable 
Luke 179, we see the exact same thought here that the, through the ministry of Christ, what's going to happen is to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Same thing, darkness equal the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Amen? So over and over in the scripture, we see that death is associated with darkness. But the good news is this, the Bible tells us that those who are living, who are walking, who are sitting in darkness because Jesus has come, a great light has shone on them. Amen? Amen now, let's show you a couple of examples how the light of the life of Christ can cast away every darkness of death. In John 1, 4, here is what the scripture says. In him, who's him? Jesus. Jesus was a life and the life was what the light of all mankind jesus came and he with him he brought the life to us and his life is far more powerful than death and the light of his life is far more powerful than the darkness of death amen that's why even though you and i once upon the time were sitting in the land of the shadow of death the son of god has come and in him was life and with his life he brought the light that cast away every darkness of death amen Second Timothy 1, 9 to 10. Here is what the scripture says. Here is what Paul said. The grace, this grace, was given to us, where? In Christ Jesus. You can't find God's grace anywhere else. Amen? This grace can only be found in Christ Jesus. Was given to us before the beginning of time. But now, this grace that was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior. Yes. Amen? Who's that? Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ do? He is what he did. He has abolished. He has demolished. He has destroyed, he has ruined death, and because he has destroyed death and all its power, as a result of that, he has brought life and immortality to what? To light through the gospel. What Paul is telling us here is this, even though death was a cruel master and because of him we were living in the darkness, yet when Jesus came, the grace of God came and with that, death was ruined, was destroyed once and for all and when death is done away with, the darkness of death is also done away with to the point that now life and immortality has come to light through the glorious message of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Those, can we say verse 16 together out loud because this is good news. Amen. The people living in. Two people are talking to me. Okay. Let's say it all out loud together. Can you memorize this? Matthew 4 16. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Those who are living in the darkness of sin, the light of the redemption of Christ has shown. Amen? Those who are living in the darkness of Satan, the light of the power of Christ has shone to them. Amen? And those who are living in the darkness of death, the light of the life of Christ has shone unto them. Amen? Can we close our eyes and pray?